Well, the question we're asking this morning is, love is love or God is love? Which? I I trust you've heard that phrase, love is love by one account. It was first coined or came out of an interview that Hamilton composer and director Lin-Manuel Miranda offered up. Country singer Leanne Rimes has a song called Love is Love is Love. The goal of the song, like the goal of the phrase, is to celebrate the LGBT community. It is a phrase that I think captures this moment in in that community and beyond. It, It captures how we view love today. It's worth meditating on. One article I found online interviewed a series of people and asked them what the phrase means to them. Angelique Kinney, 52, said... Love is love means to me that we should all be able to love how we want. And there's nothing wrong with any kind of love. Love's going to save our planet. Sarah Fox, 25, said, To me, love is love means that my friends and family and anyone who might love someone is able to love them freely and willingly. No one is telling them that that's not okay. They can be celebrated for their differences and appreciated for who they are. I I want to, as I said, meditate on that phrase, love is love, for just a second. Grammatically, it doesn't actually tell us anything. It's like saying a house is a house, or a, a cow is a cow. If I said a cow is brown, that, that would tell you something about the cow, but cow is a cow. It doesn't mean anything. It's like, it's like I made up a word, dockle-doodle, and you said, what's dockle-doodle? And I said, well, dockle-doodle is dockle-doodle. You say, I, that doesn't help. You're not supplying information into what dockle-doodle is. So when you say love is love, you're not actually saying anything. What it in fact is doing is simply reaffirming what you already think what you want love to be. Give it whatever shape I want. Who Love whomever I want, however I want, any way I want, precisely as Angelique Kinney, 52, and Sarah Fox, 25, said. The trouble, of course, is what if what I love you hate and what you love I hate? How do you... Resolve that if love is love. Well, you you can't really resolve it because love is love simply means love is whatever I want it to be. And as I said, these days the phrase love is love is owned and employed by those affirming the LGBTQ community. In fact, love in this view is not contentless. It's not finally whatever we want it to be. It has a very definite content. It says that if you do not support this way of life, this way of defining identity, this political agenda, you don't love but you hate. You're a bigot. Chrissy Stroop, an ex-evangelical transgender woman, tweeted, people who disagree with my life choice who transition are bigots, full stop. Queerness isn't a choice. 
which is to say love is love, as it's used in classrooms and commercials and country songs, is in fact dishonest. It's a phrase that's meant to hide something. It hides a sexual agenda, a political agenda, an ideological agenda, finally a religious agenda. Not only that, to say something is loving is to morally justify it. Just this week, Dr. Colleen McNicholas testified before Congress, abortion is normal. It's an act of love. And it's fundamentally health care. Why would Dr. Colleen McNicholas say abortion is an act of love? Well, she understands rightly that in a Christian culture or in a post-Christian culture that hasn't thoroughly shed all of its Christianity just yet, love justifies. To say something is love is to justify it, to morally justify it. So if you're a visitor here this morning, or especially for the teenagers, and you've begun to hear these kinds of ideas on television or in the movies for, from your friends, pay very attention, be care, pay very careful attention when people try to justify something by appealing to love. Love can sound like a really good excuse for something, can it? You hear it phrases and phrases like, well, if people, two people really love each other, surely they should be able to. Or if God really is loving, then surely he wouldn't. Or mom and dad, if you really love me, you will. When people use such phrases, pay close attention. Get out the x-ray vision machine. Look inside. What do you see? Do you not see an agenda? An agenda to get what I want. Isn't that what's going on? I'd prefer to go for something a little more honest. Something that tells you exactly what love is. There's no guessing, there's no hidden agenda, just brutal honesty. Where will we find that? Well, we'll find it in the letter to John that we have been studying for several weeks. It tells us precisely the shape, contours, and content of love when it declares not love is love, but God is love. Turn to chapter 4, 1 John. John's letter, as I've said in recent weeks, was written to a group of Christians trying to make sense of the fact that a contingent of their own number has departed. It's been focused on this idea of love. We've been in the hallway. We've come into the entrance room. And in this week's text, we come into the throne room itself as we behold the God is love. Read it with me, starting at verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, 
that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Loved. If God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. By this, we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also we are in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not yet been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, and hates his brother, he's a liar. For who does not love his brother whom he cannot see cannot love God whom he has not seen. In this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. I've placed um, the outline, my sermon on pages 8 and 9. John's goal in this text is a very simple one, to get Christians, to command Christians even, to love one another. That is our first point. We must love one another. That's the bookends of our passage. Look at verse 7 again. Beloved, let us love one another. Now look down at verse 21, the end of our passage. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. So, friends, when you go into work tomorrow and somebody says, how was your weekend? And you say, I went to church. And the the preacher preached. And they say, well, what did the preacher preach? You could say he preached that we are commanded to love one another. That That is John's goal in preaching this or giving us this text to teach us to love one another. Every one of us, when we walk out this morning, should feel that burden, the burden to love one another. If you're not, you should, says John, furthermore, love for one another should be one of the key lenses through which we do all moral evaluation and decision-making. The love is love theme allows you to do all moral thinking and decision-making through the lens of what's good for me. What do I want? What allows me to be myself, express myself, pursue whatever I believe is deep inside of me? What should I do for a job? How should I spend a Saturday night? How sh- who should I date? Which, which religions are good? Which political party is bad? How, how should I dress? How should I speak? According to a love is love ethic, I am asking all of those questions in terms of what is most real, authentic, meaningful to me. It turns me in on myself 
and asks me to evaluate the world according to everything that's inside of me. John offers a different ethical and spiritual framework when you choose what to wear to church today. When you choose what to do when the service ends. When you decide how to spend your money. When you decide what is a life worth living, a week worth pursuing, you're doing it through the lens of how can I love others? Now, to be sure, this requirement to love one another feels heavy, doesn't it? And it feels heavy not just because the people around you are difficult to love. Many of you all say are easy to love, but, oh, my heart is so selfish. My heart is so curved in on itself. Now I'm being called to love. How do I do that? That's hard. That's heavy. Gratefully, in this text, John doesn't spend that much ink on the command and spend, instead, he spends most of the ink on the ability to fulfill that command by causing us to look to God. And that brings us to point two and the, the eight reasons I list and what follows. Point two, verse eight God is love. Anyone who does not know God, anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. And if you look at verse 16, that phrase shows up again. God is love. Truly, friends, is this not one of the weightiest and most precious truths imaginable for a Christian? With that phrase, love is love, we get nothing. Christianity, however, places at the center of the universe and enveloping the universe this immovable rock, uh, this center of all existence. God is love. Whatever God is, He is love, and whatever love is, it comes from God. That's the center and source of everything, according to John. The, the one who designed comets and acorns, who sustains your and my very life and breath, the one who knows every single one of our days before each one of them comes to be, he is love. What were we just singing? Oh, the deep, deep love of Jesus, love of every love the best. Tis an ocean, vast of blessing, tis a haven, sweet of rest. We need to think about this phrase very carefully, God is love. When John says God is love, he's not saying there is this thing out there called love, this abstract idea, and that God measures up to that, as if love somehow pre-existed God, and God comes along, he's like, okay, I want to be that, make sure I'm that, not what it's saying, rather it means that who God is in himself provides us with the definition of, is the very reality of 
what love is. Love is not an abstract quality. Rather, love is a personal quality of the very nature and being and character of God. When the world is screaming at us, love is love, it is crucial, brothers and sisters, that we remember this point. God's own character and nature give us the standard of, or as David was praying, the definition of what love is. If they could, dictionary writers should look to God when they write down the definition of L-O-V-E. Anything called love that does not have its source in God is not love. People today might say they love love, but if they reject God, they don't really love love. Furthermore, understanding what love really is requires us to look at everything else about God. His holiness, His righteousness, His goodness, and so forth. God's righteousness shapes His love, and His love is righteous. God's justice is loving, and His love is just. You you can't separate God's love and God's righteousness like you might separate peanut butter and jelly. I like peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, but I can enjoy the jelly and I can enjoy the peanut butter. God's love is not like that. It's finally two aspects. of His love and his righteousness are two aspects of one thing. It's, it's, it's almost like peanut jelly. The terrible analogy, but you understand what I'm saying. God is one thing. The theologians say he is simple in that sense. So his love is characteristic of everything else about him, and everything else about him is loving. You see, his love is holy. His holiness is loving. Now, you and I could name dozens of romance movies and love song popular today and yesterday. Love sells. Love is enticing. We devote a holiday to it every February. When I was a little kid in school, we would give each other these stale heart-shaped candies. I don't know if kids still do that or not. We think we love love, yet... When people say if they really love each other, then of course we should accept. Or if God is loving, then surely he wouldn't. Again, notice what's happening. People are no longer interested in the God who is love. Rather, they're interested in their own ideas of love, which has become their small g, God. In other words, we're not going before the creator of the universe and saying, creator of the universe, who is love, tell us what love is like. Rather, we're going before the creator of the universe and saying, creator of the universe, you must conform to my idea of what is love. And so we find ourselves confronted by an idol hid in an utterly convincing costume. A lie no one can recognize, an angel of light. Love or our ideas about love have become God. Now, what is God saying with this wonderfully simple verse, subject, state of being, verb, predicate? What, what God is love? He is saying love is essential. Love is characteristic. Love is definitional of God. God is love like oceans are wet 
and sons are hot. So God is love. His holiness is loving. His judgments are loving. His affections and motions, his purposes and persons are loving. His laughter is loving. His silence is loving. His answers to prayers are loving and his withholding from answers to prayers are loving. Everything he does inescapably, perfectly is love. Furthermore, Father, Son, and a Spirit abide together purely and forever as love. That's the last thing I want to say about this glorious center of the universe fact that God is love. God is love by virtue of the fact that God is triune. By contrast, the monistic, non-triune, God of Islam, by nature need not love. The Quran calls Allah loving, section 85, verse 14, and it points to creation as evidence of his love. But this is just the Quran stealing labels from the Bible. Consider the backstory of a monistic God like Allah. Before the creation of the universe, before the creation of the world, when it was just God and in the in the Muslim concept, there is no other person for God to love. It's just Him. He need not be by nature love. He not need receive love in this triune godness of God. Not so with the Bible. Before the universe was ever created, He was love, the Father to the Spirit and Son, the Son to the Father and Spirit, the Spirit to each. As Jesus prays to the Father in John 17, 24, Father, you love me before the foundation of the world. He's always been love. He will forever be love. So, love is love or God is love. You want the fake-o version? Or the real thing? You want the temporary focused on me right now and what I want thing? Or the from before the creation of the world to the end of the universe and beyond eternal thing? What, what, what do you want? One or the other. Okay, that's where love comes from. It comes from God. But what is God's love? What is it like? What's it consist of? Point three. God's love initiate and reaches out. Verses 9 and 10. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us. Okay, so it's one thing to talk about love in the very very being and eternity of God. That sounds glorious, but, but what, what is that like? Can, can you give me some, something concrete? Okay, says John, in this, the love of God was made manifest, made evident among us that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. What do we see in this text? We see that God initiates, God takes the first step, he sends his son. Who does he send his son for? Well, he sends his son, the verse concludes, for sinners. 
he doesn't come for the beautiful damsel in distress. He comes from the, for the harlot. He is the language of the prophets. For the wife who has committed adultery, as with Hosea and Gomer, the wife who has committed adultery and sold herself into prostitution because she desires the pleasures of the world more than her husband, more than God. What is God's love like? It takes the initiative. It reaches out. It is generous. It is so generous. It is so giving. It gives and gives and gives. It is so merciful. It goes not to the beautiful, the spiritually ugly, spiritually poor, the spiritually traitorous. Unlike the love is love version of love, the God is love version of love does not say, I will only love you if you first conform to thinking like I think. Instead, it initiates and generously reaches out to those who were spitting in his face, opposing him. But then, point four, point four, God's love propitiates and draws in. If point three is like the boomerang going out, point four, we see this boomerang coming back. Verse 10, he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation, to be, that is to say, the wrath remover. He, he sent his son to turn away his own wrath, to propitiate, paying the penalty we as sinners deserve. So, so he deals with our guilt problem. But also, verse 9, look at verse 9 again. God sent his son into the world so that we might live through him. He deals with our corruption problem too. Original to sin is defined in terms of a guilt problem. We're guilty and a corruption problem. We're, we're perverted. Verses 9 and 10 deal with both. The guilt problem, he comes to propitiate. The corruption problem, he conforms us and causes us to live in and through him again. He draws us to living like him since he is the greatest good. And to love someone is to love their good and want their good. Or, or, or let me back up for a second. What does it mean to love someone? Well, to love someone is to desire their good, right? And non-Christians, by God's common grace, can love people in this way. He's hardwired it into fathers and mothers and how they love their children to desire their good so that they might learn something about him. Yet, of course, sin confuses us and deceives us about what the true good is. And so when we love their good and want their good, we put false views of good in there. What does it mean to love someone in the Bible? It means desiring their good, and the good is only God. We do not truly love our friend or neighbor, our spouse or our children, said Augustine, unless we love them with respect to God. You say that again. We do not truly love our friend or neighbor, our spouse or children, unless we love them with respect to God. That's Augustine. How is God's love made manifest to us? Jesus the Son comes and says, I'm going to come. 
I'm going to deal with your sin problem, your guilt and corruption problem, and I'm going to draw you to God because God is the greatest good. Indeed, he is the only good. You were not created for any other good. I want your good, and so I'm going to do whatever it takes you to draw you to the greatest and most glorious of all goods. I'm going to solve your guilt problem by dying on the cross and rising again. I'm going to deal with your corruption problem by giving you my spirit and making you like me. Once again, this is not love is love. This is not love as self-indulgence and self-discovery and self-expression and pleasure-seeking. The love is love version of love has to pretend there's no such thing as sin. The God is love version of love looks sin in the face and says, that's what that is, that's sin. And we know that's true because any of us with just a shred of self-honesty look at our own hearts and say, yeah, I'm sinful. And it looks out at the world and it says, yes, there is moral chaos there and wickedness there. And the God is love version of love says, I'm going to show up there and make my address there and not pretend, lie about the sin and the wickedness in the world. And then it remakes us into this own same image. In other words, point five, point five, God's love creates obligation. Verse 11, beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. The love is love version of love wants us to be free of all obligations and commandments. The only obligation, if there is one, is to look inward and be true to yourself. It offers, that is to say, a tiny, tiny universe, a black hole even, such that everything must be sucked in to me being the standard. The God of love, version of love, creates an ever-growing and expanding universe. And it does this, interestingly, by creating a world of obligations to conform ourselves to God's love and righteousness. Let me illustrate it like this. Some time ago, a single friend was talking to me about his reluctance to get married and have children in light of the sacrifice that is required. He had, uh, frankly, a fairly right view of how much sacrifice is required in getting married and having children. Uh, who enjoys being woken up at 3 a.m. Or, or helping the kids get to piano or softball practice and knowing that means you have to say no to other things that you want to do or opportunities that you want to see. Yet here's Sees. Yet here's what I explained to my friend, staring at a sacrifice never seems appetizing at first. You don't want to swallow it. But when you do, for love's sake, once swallowed that sacrifice, you discover that you as a person are nourished and stronger. It's like working to reach the top of a rugged hill and then ah, getting to the top and looking over and seeing a beautiful expanse of green valley, perfect for building homes and planting crops. 
So I don't like waking up at 3 a.m. I don't like saying no to opportunities at work. But I'm no longer, I said to my friend, the single man that I once was. The value of my children and watching their own personalities bloom and blossom has afforded me, given me a much profounder joy than a night of sleep or an extra opportunity at work. My heart weighs things differently now. Those sacrifices have changed me, and there is no regret. Trust you guys know that. Thanks to my four lovely, beautiful daughters, I live in a much bigger universe than the single version of myself ever imagined. Biblical love, in other words, requires that we move outside from ourselves to draw towards someone who is different, to forget ourselves temporarily and then discover ourselves more deeply, profoundly. For instance, I am not a woman, and I never will fully understand what it means to be a woman. Nonetheless, God requires me to try by living with my wife in an understanding way. And so my mind must reach, stretch, lean forward in the attempt. I'm forced out of myself, my natural narcissism left behind. And this might require self-denial in the beginning, which always looks painful beforehand, but ultimately, I acquire a larger identity and a bigger world. A brand of love, however, that shines the spotlight exclusively on the self cannot help but finally culminate in intentional childlessness and even homosexuality, where a self seeks to complete itself and complement itself only in itself, its mirror image, two tabs colliding, two positively charged ends of two magnets, incapable of creating anything. God's love, however, is not a black hole. It is a universe exploding outward, eternally, getting bigger and bigger and bigger and more glorious and more beautiful all the time. Point six. God's love becomes visible in us only gradually. Verse 12. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. So God, at least since Adam and Eve were 
removed from the garden, has made himself unseen by human eyes, yet if God is love, don't we want people to know him? We do, because he's the greatest good. We know that. Therefore, we must abide in him, be like him, walk like him, love like him, because as we abide in him and love like him, people will see him. He becomes visible in us as we emulate, imitate, love like him. Now, again, that sounds like a tall order. Who of us loves like God? Answer, none of us. Except one. Christ loved exactly like the Heavenly Father. Scripture promises, however, also that we who are God's children are being conformed to that same image. That means, as John says right here in this verse, God's love is being perfected in us. Friends, are you discouraged about your spiritual state? Do you realize that you're on a journey of God's love? If you're his, you're on a journey of God's love being perfected in you. One day, you and I will love just like God loves. This world of love. We're not there yet. We're going there. And little by little, we're being perfected to loving just like God loves. That's the promise. That's what we're holding on to. You're discouraged about how you're doing? Hold on to that. Look to that. God, you're doing it. We're getting there. Don't be intimidated by those who wield the club of love is love against anyone who does not conform to their ideology. Friends, you and I, we represent ultimate reality. They represent fake reality. We represent true and ultimate reality. How do we do that? By loving them back. Not with anger, not with a club, by loving them back. That's the call. How has God loved us? While we were yet sinners, sent his son to be a propitiation. So when they wield that club of love is love, we love them back. We wielded the club against God, you and I. He loved us. That's what we're called to do. That love is being perfected in you and me. Therefore, we hold on to this belief. We hold on to this confession. That's point seven. Seven, God's love creates our beliefs and our confession. Look at verse 15. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. You know what you believe and confess because you know that you have been loved by this God who is love. Furthermore, I want you to hold on to that belief, that confession. Hold on to God and his work of love because point eight, point eight, God's love creates a life of love. Look at verse 16b. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. I I want to abide in love. I I want God's love to abide in me. I I assume you want the same. How do we do it? Well, again, we're called to walk as he walks. That is to say, we walk in his commandments. John, John will later say this in his second epistle, 2 John 6, love walks in Christ's commandments because as we walk in his commandments, we look like him. I've said this before. I believe from this pulpit, I'll say it again. In the Bible, 
Love leads to obedience, and obedience is a sign of love. If you're a note taker, write that down. Write it down as a flow chart. Love, arrow, leads to obedience, and obedience, back, arrow, is a sign of love. How do we abide in the love of God? We, we obey, we follow, imitate. But I know, even as I say that word obedience, we feel the weight of it. Our, our, our fallen hearts feel the burden of it. it. It is amazing, isn't it? God has issued a party invitation to all of us, an invitation to join him in the life and the world of eternal love. And Satan's most pernicious and in many ways successful lies is to convince us that that invitation to this eternal party of love is burdensome. Oh, I got to do that. I got to be like that. Friends, do we not know that this is finally freedom? Do we not replace that lie with truth? To know that to follow after God, to know the truth, is to be set free. And is to know this world of love. And so Jesus prays to to the Father in John 17, I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and I myself may be in them. Jesus invites us into this eternal triune world of giving and receiving love. The Father looks at the Son and he does not see a traitor. He sees perfect beauty in the Son. He sees moral perfection in the Son, and so he can give his love to the Son entirely, perfectly, unhindered by any blemish, because the Son is beautiful. And then Jesus says, that love you have for me, give it to them. So it's not that God loves us, it's that God loves the Son and invites us into the love that He has for the Son. Isn't that amazing? You, you, you picture a, a wealthy man and his son and his, his son's to-be wife on their wedding day. And, and, and the, the, the father says to the son and to this to-be bride, this impending bride, he he. he points to the manor, and he says, all of this, these vineyards, these orchards, this multi-car garage, this mansion, these, these flowers, all of them are mine, and now all of them are my son's and yours because I love my son, and my son loves you, and I'm giving my love for my son to you, and I'm inviting you into all of that. It is all yours. All the treasures and riches I, God, the Father, possess are now given to my Son and given to you. That is the world of love that we're, we're called into. And so I'm saying we walk in His ways. What am I saying? I'm saying live on the manor. Live on the mansion. Live in the pools and the tennis courts and the orchards and the vineyards. And you're like, ah, go back to the slums. Really? Is that freedom? Is that pleasure? Is that joy? Do you see the generosity and richness of God who is love and what he calls to give us? Not because we've earned it, but because he is love.
And as we learn more and more what God's love is like, we discern there is nothing to fear. Look at point nine. God's love gives us confidence for judgment and casts out fear. Verses 17 and 18. By this love is perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment because as he is, so also we are in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment and whoever fears has not been perfected in Love, are you afraid? Are you afraid of anything, of losing a job, of losing a relationship, of not doing well on your SATs? All these fears reveal a lack of love having been perfected in us because perfect love doesn't know fear. It casts out fear. After all, all of these fears finally root in the fear of judgment ways I don't have to time to trace out right now and explain. Yet when we have confidence in God's judgment, when we know God's judgment is good, and when we know we'll be on the side of his judgment, even if we're on the wrong side of this world's love is love judgments, no fear remains. We'll be like Jesus, fearing nothing. Let me conclude with point 10. Our love for one another is the proof of our love for God. Verses 19 and 20 again, we love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has, cannot, whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. The proof's in the pudding, as they say. Don't tell me this recipe is good until you taste the pudding. Don't tell me you love God who is love, and who first loved us if you're not loving others. You, you do not abide in a world of love if you're not loving others. You do not abide in God who is love. If you're not loving others, you just, you're lying. You're self-deceived. Our love for others is the proof that we know God's love and that we're living in it and abiding in it and it is in us. That we love him. These things are inseparable, says John. I wonder how different our church, how different your life, how different churches around the world would look. We understood the inseparability of love for him and love for our brothers. The love of love version of love says, live however you want, live Love people by letting them live however they want. There's nothing wrong with anyone. There's no such thing as perverse or misdirected desire. The God is love version of love said, if God is loved, then all love is from God. Anything the world calls love that is not from God is not love because God is love. We love people the most friends by pointing them to God because God is love. When people who claim to love God, walk away from God, we love them most by correcting them and saying, no, 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 no. Come back to God, who is love. You want love? Come back to God because he is love. Those who oppose and disobey God are running away from love. They are choosing something besides love, even if they call it love. If we want to pursue love, we must pursue God, we must follow after God, imitate God, walk in God's ways, listen to him, and do all that he says. Remember, he is 
love. Sure enough, Jesus models this love. He tells us that he abided in the Father's love by perfectly obeying the Father's commandments. Jesus says of himself, I do as the Father commanded me so that the world may know that I love the Father. And he says the same about us. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he is the one who loves me. Friends, could it be that we need a radical reorientation of what love is? If God is love, we love people by sharing the gospel with them so that they might know God. If God is love, we love people by teaching them everything God commands so that they might image God. If God is love, we love people by correcting them when they walk away from God. If God is love, we even love people by removing them from membership in the church when they insist on their own desires more than God because their only hope to have a life of love is to recognize they've turned away from the one who is love and come back to him. Sting famously saying, as I listened to him at age 14, if you love someone, set them free. And there are times this is true. There is a partial truth in this. The bigger truth is, if you love someone, point them to the God who is love. Such love is patient, kind, does not envy or boast, it is not rude or proud, does not insist on its own way, yet also it does not delight in evil, rejoices in the truth. It works through the truth, says John in his second letter. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. It lays down its life for its friends. Indeed, this is how God has loved us. If you're his, this is how God has loved you. Let's love one another. Shall we pray? Father, we confess we haven't loved one another. We want to love one another. And the only way we know how to do that is by looking to you the God who is love, a vast ocean of blessing, a haven in which we sweetly rest. You are love, and so we give all praise and glory to you. In your son's name, amen.